VegCast. It's nifty and it's 50. VegCast. I'm Vance, welcoming you to this 50th edition of VegCast. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, I know, I know, we always say there's a full menu, but for our gala 50. Podcast celebration. We really are filling the menu uh, with some items for you. Coming up, we will have a veggie market report from Quebec, where VegCast traveled earlier this month for a special interview with Stefan Grolo. And I will explain to you after the sign on why the interview is so special. Uh, but we will also have a uh, science fact, as usual, and it is a science fact that the fact of which you've heard before, but this is a new study, which I feel uh, it really does deserve reiterating. And, of course, we will have a musical selection, a, another musical selection from Green Beings. This will be the last one for a while, but I thought it was appropriate for our 50th podcast to uh, to go on with that, we're going to have a couple of other just stray items here and there to really celebrate the fact that VegCast, after three years or so, is uh, turning 50, and uh, life begins now, I guess. Is that the concept? Yes, it is. So please go ahead and sit back, relax, and crank up your MP3 player as we deliver to you this 50th edition of VegCast. All right, first of all, let me remind you that this podcast, this 50th edition VegCast, is brought to you by Cove Creamy Non-Dairy Soy-Free Frozen Dessert. It's kosher organic and vegan. That's what Cove stands for. Check them out at kovfoods.com. And let me now explain the genesis of the bulk of this podcast. Uh, We went to Quebec which is the home of Stéphane Grolot, whom you may remember from VegCast 47, our Sounds of Summerfest 08 edition, where we had a very brief uh, interview with him about how he was uh, enjoying Summerfest. And uh, Stéphane is an expert in veganic gardening and veganic agriculture. And so uh, we wanted to visit him in his element there in Quebec City, Uh, And, of course, the fact that Quebec City is celebrating its 400th anniversary uh, this year with uh, all kinds of gala events also helped sweeten the pot. So we went on up there and had an interview with Stefan, which uh, is going to be released in two versions. For the first time, VegCast goes international with two versions of this interview, one in English and one in French. So... Uh, it's, you know, Stefan is a native French speaker, so in the English version, he has to uh, occasionally uh, grasp for the correct word, whereas in the French version, uh, he can speak more freely, and I just wind up sounding like an idiot. But to those of you who don't speak French, you won't know the difference, so, so that's great. Um, and when we get to that point, I'll explain how that is going to work. But uh, while I was up there in Quebec, I did take note of some of the 
trends in uh, their groceries and restaurants and so forth in terms of vegetarian and vegan options. And as you know, VegCast devotes a considerable amount of coverage to events and trends and institutions and businesses here in Philadelphia in the Delaware Valley. Uh, but it also uh, reaches outside that, and especially when I travel somewhere else, I try to report back on my impressions of that place as an outsider and uh, somebody coming into it as a blank slate. And we're going to do that now in a new feature called the Veggie Market. Okay, here is your veggie market report for the province of Quebec, Canada. Uh, I'm reporting on the whole province because we stopped in Montreal on the way home. And so uh, with my experiences uh, with a handful of grocery stores in those two cities, I feel I can now make sweeping generalizations about uh, Quebec and why not all of Canada uh, just based on those experiences. But um, Stéphane Groslow, uh, knowing that we were coming up, had warned me that uh, there it wasn't a great place for vegetarian and vegan options. Uh, but when I got to this grocery store that was uh, just outside where we were staying, uh, I was stunned that it was better, actually, than most grocery stores in America. And it turns out it was not um, exactly your normative grocery store. Uh, we happen to be staying at that point in a, a little ritzier section. So this was a very uh, yuppie-oriented kind of Whole Foods-style uh, uh, store. Uh, but that said, um, it did have uh, a great selection of meat analogs, uh, and it had a, a great selection of soy milks. And the point is that it had a lot of different brands of vegan options that uh, that I had not encountered, and especially in the soy milks, um, there were I'm going to list these for you: Nature A, uh, Sensational Soy, U with an umlaut over the U. Uh, that's just Y U. So good, Earthshake. And uh, So Good also has a vegan ice cream. Uh, these were not all in this one store, but uh, they were in this one and another uh, similar yuppie-oriented store. And the thing is that these were very much segregated. The stores had huge quantities of vegan options, but they were all uh, very strictly segregated. I couldn't find the soy milk at all in this uh, this first store I went to, an IGA. Um and I thought it was odd since I'd seen all of the Eves products that they had, although, of course, Eves being a French name and a Canadian, uh, originally a Canadian company, that wasn't surprising. But I thought they must have soy milk somewhere, and I looked all over all the dairy cases, all the cold cases all around the side of the store, and finally came around and found it right smack in the middle of the store, just kind of standing alone, this case of all these soy milk, soy yogurts, soy uh, margarines and, uh, you know, analogs of that kind. Um, So it was interesting that they were sticking to that concept that you must keep these away from the other things so that the people that are used to buying cow's milk uh, don't get tempted to stray and try uh, something else. But at the same time, they had just a, a great variety 
of uh, different things there. Um, also in the uh, meat analogs, in addition to the Eves stuff, which was not all that surprising, uh, there were some other brands. One of them uh, was Veggie Gourmet uh, is the brand, and uh, the product was roast wheat. Uh, it was like a sliced roast beef uh, that you could cook and put on sandwiches, or you could. I actually just had it uh, without being cooked. I never got around to cooking it. Uh, it was especially good if you wanted to go to Subway and get their Veggie Delight and have some meat of your own that you knew was vegan to put on it. Um, and that was actually very good. There is also um, a product called Veggie. I'm trying to say it in English. Veggie Pate. I mean Veggie Pate is uh, what they called it. It's put out by Commonsal, which is a, a chain of restaurants that also puts out foods to groceries. Um, it's a vegetarian restaurant and vegetarian products. And the, I saw this veggie pate even in the, like, the most uh, you know, bargain basement style grocery store. So it seemed to be just all over the place. Anyone could walk into any grocery store, it seemed, and get a uh, veggie pate, which, uh, you know... I, I did have some. It's not exactly something I would want to have every day. It's a little bit, a little kind of tempeh-ish in, in its uh, taste, a little, a little thick. Um, but it's still good and, uh, you know, rich in protein and all that stuff. They also had three bean salads and other bean salads. This is back in the upscale groceries uh, uh, put out by Common Sol. Uh So there are a lot of uh, very nice kind of fresh products uh, that were available. And I should just also mention that uh, I I found pan au chocolat, chocolate bread, basically. I mean, little kind of croissants, uh, only they're they're really just kind of pockets of dough with uh, chocolate in them, uh, vegan. And uh, so I got that, and we had those a lot uh, as treats or uh, breakfast items. Um, And overall, I have to say... Uh, basically, it, it was a good mix of products. Uh, r- reminded me of the, a multi-party political system, and maybe uh, that's because I'm recording this on the night of uh, Barack Obama's acceptance speech, so I'm thinking about political parties. But uh, it seems like here in America we have two political parties that, that tend to stifle uh, debate from other quarters, and uh, we also have two or three really big food companies uh, that pretty much run everything, and it's hard for uh, a lot of little companies to get noticed. But uh, in, in Canada, there seems to be at least uh, a good a couple handfuls of different companies putting out different products and giving people a lot of options um, if they know where to go. Now, I should say when I went uh, to this other store uh, that was in a lower rent district. Uh, Obviously, you didn't have all of these various varieties of soy milks. Um, They did have some soy milks. They did have the Eves products. Uh, They didn't have the roast wheat, but they did have the veggie pate. Um, So I don't want to make it sound like a Shangri-La or anything, but uh, it was certainly a place where it it seems like there's a vibrant uh, veggie market. And so that concludes our look at the veggie market of Quebec, the province of Quebec. And uh, I will grade the market now to uh, really put a cap on it. I will give it a B plus as a veggie market. And we'll see how that uh, shakes out with 
the various reports that we do and that we have done of various veggie markets around the country and, of course, around the world via VegCast International. Okay, let's move right along into our feature interview now. As I mentioned, uh, we met Stefan at Summerfest, and uh, since he is an expert in veganic agriculture or vegiculture, uh, we wanted to hear his views and uh, his experiences and some information he can share with us on that phenomenon, which, of course, is uh, raising uh, plants without adding uh, animal products in order to uh, fertilize them. Uh, so we're going to go to that. And as I said, because this is now VegCast International, we have this interview in two versions. We're only going to play the English version within this podcast. So if you subscribe to VegCast and you're interested in hearing the French version, just go to VegCast.com. Uh, look right down in the uh, second screen for the show notes for VegCast 50, and we'll have a link to that separate MP3 file of Stefan Grolo uh, speaking more fluidly in his native tongue. But uh, for those of you who speak English, we're going to go to the English version right now. All right, right now on VegCast, we are at the home of Stefan Grolo for a special VegCast interview. Stefan, welcome to VegCast. Thank you. And uh, we're going to talk about, of course, veganic gardening, or as you call it, uh, végéculture. Is that right? Yeah. In French, I would say végéculture, uh -huh. which is a word that I came up with to try to find a new concept or a word that would describe this way of gardening that is only plant-based. It is only plant-based, and that's what uh, some of us would call veganic uh, but uh, maybe veggie culture will catch on, and we'll be using that word down in down in the states, right? Yeah, it's just that there is different words. Meaning, in England, for example, they would say uh, stock-free farming uh -huh. or uh, vegan organic farming, or and we also use the term veganic. So there is different concept that relates to the same ideas of growing food without any animal byproduct. Well, let's let's get into the specifics of that. What um, are there different ways of uh, fertilizing things using only plant products or across different cultures using vegan, veganic, vegiculture, whatever? Are there actually, you know, are there different ways or is there basically one central concept? The, the concept of uh, veganic or vegiculture is to grow food where, uh, without relying on animals. So, if we respect this idea, then we it's mostly veganic. But uh, there is some specific ways to do it that most people would do. For example, using plant-based compost. So compost. So um, this is just doing compost out of plant-based material. Or you can also uh, do a mulch, so you use organic material that you put on the soil, so it will prevent the soil from drying out, and it will also, by degrading or composting, it will feed the soil, and it will create a nice environment for all the life in the soil. Uh, there is also the green manure. Green manure is a plant is plants that we grow 
but we destroy before they are too uh, old so mm -hmm. that it will just enrich the soil and especially there is plants like uh, the, the legumes which are plants that are able to fix nitrogen so with their roots you just take the nitrogen in the air and bring it in the soil so it's a good way to fertilize the soil um, Wait, I, I'm sorry you're saying that um, if you're growing legumes it's not that you're growing them to use as green manures, just the growing of legumes is helpful to the soil itself. Yeah, in fact, this is to if we want to do green manure, green manure is crop that we won't harvest anything. We will just leave the plant or we'll just till the so the plant in the soil or cut it and let it on site so uh -huh. that by composting it will enrich the soil with all the organic material that has been built. So uh, this is there is different plant, any plants can be used as a green manure because the idea is to have roots and to have organic materials that will grow somewhere that when it's buried in the soil it will feed all the organisms that are there okay so we don't harvest anything it's just to grow to live there and in these green manures all the legumes or the nitrogen fixing plants are among the, the most important ones because they are able to get nit nitrogen which is one of the most important uh, source of fertility or fertilizer so instead of buying chemicals or stuff we just take it take the nitrogen that is in the air and make it available for plants okay well i have two main things that if i'm approaching this as a novice, which I am, or not even a novice, as, as an outsider, um, that I think that other people might also have. So I'm going to try to get those two things answered. The first, I mean, this, so there's a little bit of uh, devil's advocate here. The first is um, that, you know, in terms of veganism itself, um, there's no real natural rationale for why the human body would necessarily have to consume animal products. But with the earth, there is definitely a system where animal products are being used to fertilize plants and vice versa in this cycle. So, so it, you know, people who, who are not familiar with veganism say, well, you must be missing something. There must be something that you're not getting in your diet by eating vegan. Um, and we know that that's not true, but in the soil, isn't don't you miss out on something if you're not using animal fertilizer? It's really funny. I really enjoy this kind of comment because this is the same argument that people are applying to human body mm -hmm. is the same as the soil. We also have this same preconception that you need to bring manure in the field to grow food. Just like we say we need to eat meat to be healthy. Right. So this is the same argument and the same are untrue. Because, um, okay, when I say we don't need animal product or animal manure, is we don't need imported or manure that comes from farmed animals. But mm -hmm. it's sure that in the soil there is all the earthworms, there is all the microorganisms that eat organic material and well, they, they right. have excretions and so this is the manure that we have in the soil that is really the most fertile one so mm -hmm. we don't need to import stuff we just need to first to 
to feed this life that is in the soil. Mm -hmm. So this is the most important aspect to kind of keep the life and have a living soil. And the other really important part is to avoid losing the nutrients that are in the soil. This is the, the, the other really important part is if we try to have a soil that is always covered, that is full of growing plants, if we avoid having bare soil where you have erosion and you have water or wind erosion or, or all the or working the soil too much, uh, if you avoid these kind of so soil that is bare, uh, you avoid losing too much nutrients, so you don't need to import as much nutrients in the soil as if you keep the one that is already there. Right. So this is an, an important part. So I, I come for, so for that argument of you need to have manure in the soil, it's untrue because uh, it's true that in veganic agriculture, we say we don't want to use any chemicals. It's sure. based on the life, the natural cycle in the soil. But the chemical industry just proved us that you don't need manure because they are, they are able to grow food without any uh, manure. They will just grow with chemicals. So it's possible to grow plants without any manure. And the hydroponic uh, greenhouse are showing us that you can grow tomatoes without manure just using chemicals. Right, okay. So the argument of manure is untrue. It's just that in veganic we want to we want to have a place where don't you we don't rely on any exploited animals, and we try to have a living soil but only with natural animals there. Okay, but bringing up the hydroponics uh, kind of leads into my next question, which is that hydroponic agriculture and this these processes that you talk about they sound very. Uh, very intensive, very like worker intensive, and I'm wondering. It, it seems like it might very well work for a family or a couple of families who wanted to, you know, have a garden and do it this way. Is this kind of agriculture, though, something that realistically could be scaled to the point where it was feeding a population? Yeah, we have lots of examples now that mm -hmm. we where farms. Uh, commercial farms exist in England. I've worked on different farms where some, for example, are doing a box scheme where every week they will produce about 300 bags where they deliver to 300 families. So they feed lots of people there. In the United States, we have farms in New Mexico, in New York State, uh, in different states where you have commercial farms. And uh, we've read an article about the biggest CSA farm, which is community, community shared agriculture, just turned veganic. And oh, really? Where, so, where was that? Um, I should ask Megan. Uh, more... You're making this up off the top of your head, aren't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll find that out and we'll add it in after. Okay, so there is lots of farms that are commercial farms that are growing food for lots of people. And I would say this is for more vegetables farm, mm -hmm. uh, but all many organic uh, grain farms that are producing wheat or camut or, or legumes, they are growing food without any animal manure because sometimes they have so big fields, they don't even have enough manure, they don't have enough manure to, to, to put everywhere, so they just grow veganic by default. But we have examples of them that it's possible to grow for a while, a big quantity, 
Well, many people, veganic food. Now, that's surprising to me because I thought that in American, the American farming system in general, we had such a surplus of manure that all farmers were being <laughs> pressured to, where it was being made economically uh, desirable for them to use the manure just to have places to distribute it and get it out, you know. But there are places where they're, they just, I guess they're further away from something and they're... Yeah, sometimes it's because they are further and they are far away from the source of uh, right. manure, <clears throat> like in the prairies, for example, but they have so wide, right, okay. so huge fields. So uh, they don't, they could not get enough manure. Okay. So sometimes they don't necessarily decide to go veganic, you know, for some farms, but it shows that it's possible to grow. Okay. Um, and before uh, we wrap this up, the reason that we're having you on as the the expert, uh, it's not just, you know, I did travel all the way here to Quebec City just to interview you because you've you've made a name for yourself here in uh, in Quebec. What what have you? What exactly can you explain to our listeners what uh, what you've been doing here? The first thing uh, we did is that we started this veganic network, which is a first. It's a website at goveganic.net, where we try to uh, to link together and to start a network between different farms that are interested in uh, veganic agriculture, but also to in customers that would like to help or support farmers, and to bring the ideas. Uh, in the in the public because many people just don't think that it's possible to grow veganic but this comes back from my interest where I, I, I first became vegan and I, I was told but you need to have animals to grow food so I was kind of hmm I'm not sure and so I did some research I went in Europe to visit different farms and I've been involved in the vegan organic network which is really involved in England and in fact it's an international network but meeting some veganic farmers or people that were interested in to these ideas in North America, we just decided uh, last February to to start something here to make, to do something more local and to make it possible for farmers and interested people to share ideas and okay. interact. So if people are if somewhere they hear Vegcast, they want to get involved or find out more, they can go to goveganic.net and find out more about the veggie culture and uh, maybe a little bit more about Stéphane Grillo, right? Yeah, thanks. Okay, well thank you for uh, for talking with us on VegCast. <laughs> Great.
doesn't grow. It doesn't really grow. It doesn't grow one day. It doesn't really grow. It doesn't grow. Saying that cows, pigs, and chickens makes it sound like. doesn't grow on trees from electric green by green beings and that will be the last green being song for a while i actually have uh, a bunch of other artists lined up uh but the uh, plan that we had for this one uh did not come through in time and i figured for the 50th veg cast it might be appropriate to uh, play you the first vegetarian song I think that I wrote, one of the first anyway. That that song is a good 20 years old, uh, predating the uh, existence of green beings by uh, a good 10 years. But we did it up right for this album uh, with a new version. And so that is Meat Doesn't Grow on Trees, and this is... Science. Our 50th VegCast Science Fact is Going Veggie Can Slash Your Carbon Footprint. This is a story from Agence France Press, appropriately, and the study is from the Institute for Ecological Economy Research in Berlin, Germany. Uh, The lead says giving up meat could drastically reduce your carbon footprint, with meat eaters' diets responsible for almost twice the emissions of those of vegetarians. Uh, They go on to compare how eating a certain way compares to driving a mid-sized car. 
a certain number of kilometers or miles. Uh, But the basic fact here is the ratio. Uh, As the story explains, the calculations are based on emissions of greenhouse gases, including methane produced by the animals themselves, as well as emissions from food production, including manufacturing feed and fertilizer, and the use of farmland. So uh, going vegetarian, as it says in the lead, will uh, give you a carbon footprint that is about half the size of that of a meat eater. Going vegan, it says giving up meat and dairy products would cut the emissions released in making what you eat more than sevenfold. Uh, And if it is all organic, your food footprint is almost a seventeenth of that of a meat eater. The story even makes sure to point out that beef is particularly environmentally unfriendly uh, with producing 2.2 pounds of beef, the same as driving 71 kilometers uh, compared with 26 kilometers for pork. They don't even compare that with plant-based diets. And the story concludes dramatically. Switching to organic farming can cut emissions dramatically, but... And this is quoting the study itself. But what counts is the way we feed ourselves production and consumption first and foremost of beef and milk must be cut drastically. The reason that I uh, selected this for the science fact, even though we've had uh, other studies that touch on this topic, uh, is that I, I liked the way that it was laid out in very simple terms. Uh, the comparison, the ratio, and, uh, of course, I I like that quote. Now, will anyone pay attention to it? Interestingly, as I mentioned, this was from Agence France Presse, and this version of the story uh, did show up on msnbc.com and yahoo.com, but interestingly, I have not seen it come out through a U.S.-based news service like the Associated Press. They seem to be doing their best to ignore it, Uh, Or else maybe nobody tugged on their shirt sleeve and said, hey, here's one of the most important studies that you could report on in terms of what people can actually do to make a huge impact on global warming. But that's as we go to press. Maybe by the time this is on your iPod, you'll be able to find that in your own daily newspaper and uh, on your own uh, American uh, websites or whatever, if, uh, if that's where you choose to go for news, but I would uh, caution you that the best place to go for your science news having to do with vegetarianism and veganism is, of course, right here at the Science Fact. All right, as I believe I have mentioned, this is the 50th VegCast, and I just want to, before we get out of here, I just want to run down the kind of comprehensive look back over uh, the existence of VegCast to give you some idea of the many topics and personalities that we have had on here, especially, as I say, in case uh, people have come uh, along the way and uh, gotten some VegCasts and gotten to subscribe and may not be aware of everything that we've done so far and everything that we're going to do. So in order, here are the VegCast guests slash topics for the first 50 VegCast, and they go as follows. 
Star Bar Summerfest 05 for Vegan Restaurant Challenge, Public Eye, Verdun, Karen Davis, Carol Adams, Richard Schwartz, Key West Horizons, Meat Out 2006, Genesis Awards, Will Tuttle, Scott Geiger, Summerfest 06, Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary, David Cantor, Michael Greger, Gary Francione, Mickey Z, Allison Scormay, Bob Pyle, Arnold's Way, Jody Chems, Mindy Kirschbaum, Pamela Rice, Kyle Vincent, Live Earth, Summerfest 07, Brenda Davis, Dan Perraro, Dr. John McDougall, Dave Warwack, Vicento Molina, Zinnia Convisor, Mike Hudak, Carolyn DuPont, Nick Cooney, Martha Grimes, Paul Shapiro, Stuart Rose, Nava Atlas, Roll. Friedman, Jean He, Maria Pandolfi, Issa Chandra Moskovitz, Summerfest 08, Lisa Mickleborough, James Levesque, and Stefan Grolo. So if any of those names or topics stick out to you, uh, you can go to fedgecast.com and use our handy pull-down uh, index there to find the topics or people who you are interested in hearing and jump straight to that VegCast. I hope everybody finds something to entertain and enlighten on VegCast, the Veggie Podcast. That is going to do it for VegCast 50. Thanks to our sponsor, Cove. It's kosher, organic, and vegan. That's what Cove stands for. Check them out at kovfoods.com. And, of course, thanks to Stefan Grolo, who not only supplied us with two separate interviews on veganic agriculture, but also fed me and my family a wonderful Quebecois vegan meal and regaled us with uh, some accordion playing while we were there. That was great. Uh, so we'll see you next time here with VegCast 51. And until that point, please get out there and live like you mean it.